And what a prayer, abiding in the branch. We must abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the, rec- the recurring phrase, I depend on you. I depend on you. We are called to live our lives fully dependent on and fully trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It is great to see you here this morning. I'm glad you're here after a, a great Easter weekend last week, after a great week this week. We're beginning a new series, and I guess I'll, I'll start with a question. You guys know any mean Christians? You, you ever heard of any mean Christians? I'll never forget one time I was inviting a person to come to church who had gone through some really difficult times in their life and just made a really bad life-altering decision. And I said, why don't you come and just enjoy the fellowship of Christians? She said, hmm. I already feel bad enough. Why would I want to go someplace where I'm going to be criticized, condemned, and be made to feel worse? I said, no, no, I think you have a misconception of what it means to be the body of Christ, of the loving nature of the church. And there's a lot of misconception out there. The problem, I find, too often is some of that misconception is based upon reality. We do tend from time to time to fight. Just like families who love one another dearly can disagree and fight. We're starting a new series called Fighting Christians. Doesn't that make you want to roll up your sleeves, come to church? Kind of a a fun topic to deal with. We're going to take several weeks. and Today we're going to talk about disagreements, probably more so than fighting, but disagreements over personal convictions. We'll get into that in just a moment. Matter of fact, go ahead and find Romans chapter 14 in your Bible. As Ella has already read and reminded us, We are one body, one faith, one Lord Jesus Christ, one baptism. We are all together in this. And Paul has a specific emphasis when we have disagreements over things that are not clear prescriptions or clear prohibitions. And that's our study this morning. In future weeks, we're going to talk about when it's okay and when it's not okay and when it is okay, how we should engage in fights over theology theological issues. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15, one of the earliest great church fights between two different congregations and between the apostles themselves. We're going to look at interpersonal conflict when individuals get mad and fight with one another on one of these weeks. You can go ahead at some point, write down Yodia and Syntyche in Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. Fast, I would hate to be known throughout history, my name mentioned only in the context of not being able to get along with somebody else. But that's where we are. We'll look at that. We're going to look at Galatians 2 and uh, a couple of other passages and talk about, all right, when you disagree, when is it okay to call somebody out publicly? Don't you hate a scene? I mean, some of you don't. Some of you are like, I live for scenes. This is fun. This is exciting. But a lot of us just, mm, We just hate a scene. When is it okay to call somebody out publicly? And then we're going to end that series with, all right, are Christians supposed to fight in the culture wars? Are there, and how how do we engage in the issues of our culture? Doesn't that sound exciting? Fighting Christians. It's a good study. Today we're talking about Christians arguing and disagreeing over personal convictions and disputable matters. And so I would open and invite you to read along with me. Romans chapter 14. We're going to read that whole chapter. And then we're going to go to Romans chapter 15 and read verses 1 through 7. It's just a continuation of the same theme. Romans chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. 
but not to quarrel. There's your fight. But not to quarrel over opinions. There's your disputable matters. These are not clear prescriptions or clear prohibitions. These are opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eat despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So we've got some pretty serious disagreements. Here's another one. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days the same. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Emphasize that. The one who observes the day observes it. How? Obediently. In honor of the Lord. The one who eats, how does he do it? The mature one, he eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So you have differing opinions Differing behaviors, differing convictions, both mature, both expressed to honor the Lord. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every, shall, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore... Let us not pass judgment. There's pass judgment again. Third time it showed up in this, in this passage. Pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Nothing is unclean of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin and then he closes this with the first seven verses of Matthew chapter I mean Matthew Romans chapter 15 what about those of us who are strong strong in faith strong in grace strong in conscience those of us who don't have a long list of things not to do what do we do we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. As it is written, the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. 
whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And here's the, here's the culmination. This is where we want to end up. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. A long passage, but it's really actually not a really complicated passage. This is not an issue of what are the right things to do and what are the wrong things to do. The point of this passage is how you relate to people who share different opinions than you on disputable manners. Now, we know that there are some things that are not disputable. There are things that are clearly identified as sins. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You guys know what I'm reading? Okay. The fourth, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The fifth, honor your father and mother. The sixth, you shall not commit murder. The seventh, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. And you shall not covenant. Covet. In just recent, uh, the passage before this, we read the exhortation to live not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Can you think of things that are clearly a sin, a line that God has drawn that you're not supposed to pass? They are there. There's this definition of righteousness, there's this definition of unrighteousness and transgressions. The Bible's pretty clear. There are some things that as believers, we no longer belong to ourselves. We have a king, we have a God, we have a savior, we have a Lord. And so there are things that are clearly wrong. We call those prohibitions, thou shalt not. And then there are thou shalts as well. The prescriptions, the things you're supposed to do, you shall Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You shall love your neighbors yourself. You shall serve God together. You can honor one another. Just from Romans 12, a recent study when we talked about loving wisely and well. You're to be fervent, not lazy or apathetic. You're to be patient in tribulation. You're to pray continually. You contribute. You are to contribute to the needs of the saints. You're to be hospitable in your attitude and with your resources. You're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You're not to seek your own revenge, but trust God. You are to be kind to your enemies. You are to overcome evil with good. Those are very clear prescriptions, normative. These are things that we do. And the Bible has thou shalt nots and it has thou shalt. But there are other things that are neither prohibited nor prescribed. Many of you know my background. I was raised in a very, my dad's a preacher and he's a country preacher. Uh, He's a very strict country preacher. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was coming up, no movies, no rock music, no dancing. You guys have heard it. I've said it before. I dance in foot and I pray a knee don't grow on the same leg. <laughs> we couldn't have playing cards in the house. Uh, certainly, uh, there was no, no long hair, no beards, no tattoos. Uh, when we would have um, uh, youth parties, uh, the boys would swim, and then they would get out, and then the girls would swim because we couldn't swim at the same time. Uh, your clothes matter. You had to dress a certain way, not only on Sundays, but other times. 
Uh, and churches have different convictions over things that are not clear prescriptions or prohibitions as well. Some about what translations you can or cannot use. Uh, some what music. I don't, we don't really want to get into opinions on music. That's a big conversation. Uh, how often to observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, what about Sabbath keeping? Can you work on Sunday? Can you not work on Sunday? Uh, in my house, we were raised, you don't cut the grass. As a matter of fact, we, my brother and I got in real trouble one Sunday because we went and played football with the guys Sunday afternoon after church between morning worship service and training union. We went and played football, came home, and Dad was home that Sunday afternoon, and usually and he said, sons, Sunday's rest day. Don't do it again. Okay, so, so you have convictions that you live out. Some people have varying convictions and opinions on holidays. Uh, we have some people who think Halloween is a great opportunity to connect with people you couldn't connect with on any other time and a great way to, to minister and get the gospel out while others simply say it's Satan holiday, don't do anything with it. We have people who in our church's history have said you should celebrate Christmas and some who say you should not celebrate Christmas and some who say you can celebrate Christmas but you can't have a tree. Anyway, we just again, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? That, that's enough examples. We're pretty clear on the difference of opinions. But I will tell you, these kind of things make people mad with one another and they can split congregations and they can break relationships the way that people behave over these things the fights and arguments have caused people to leave can i tell you one from this congregation a long time ago remember i've been here 20 years shortly after i came the question came up should ushers wear coats and ties on sunday or not and we had a faction that said ushers must wear coats and ties on sundays and then we had a faction that said well no ushers must not have coats and ties on Sundays, or at least not be required to, let it be a, a matter of personal conviction. I want to tell you that was not a simple dispute. It took several meetings over a long period of time for us to come together uh, where, where we eventually came. But can I tell you, the Bible does not dictate or mandate coats and ties for ushers on Sunday morning. And, and so it becomes, a, it becomes a, an issue of personal conviction, and you arrive at personal convictions in a different way. So in this day, in this text, remember what we just read? There are two items that were disputable items that Paul identifies. Number one, he said, some of you are vegetarians. Well, not vegetarians. He said, some of you believe you can only eat vegetables. Now, why is that a big deal? You, like, you guys like vegetables, right? Green beans, peas, leeks, I don't know, vegetables. The reason that food becomes a, is an issue here is because in that day, one of the ways that people would worship in temples is they would go kill a sheep or a calf. And they would take the meat and they would offer it as an offering at a pagan temple. Well, all these people were doing this. The temple would take the food in. Some of it they would use in their sacrifices or whatever they did as their cultic worship. And some of it they would take and it was good meat. And so they would take it to the market and they would sell it at the market. That created income for the false temple and it provided food for the community. And so some people said, I don't know whether this meat has ever been in a false temple, pagan temple. Remember the first commandment? No other gods before me. Remember the second one? No graven images. And so I, I really want to be obedient here. And so out of, out, of, out of concern, and some people may have been, been saved out of that background where that's how they used to worship and that's how they used to provide their support to the temple. They say, I am not going to eat meat because it may have been meat offered to idols. And so I'm just going to be a vegetarian. While others said, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. As a matter of fact, all food is good. God created all food, and it's offered to another idol, but it's not an idol. There is no God but God. There's only one God, 
And so God has made good for us to enjoy, and I have no, no problem at all with eating meats. You see the difference in opinion? And then some prefer one day. Some of these were strict religious Jews. They were raised that the Sabbath is holy, keep it holy. You remember the Old Testament law. You could be killed for not honoring and obeying the Sabbath in the nation of Israel back in the day. And so these people had a whole bunch of rules about what you can and cannot do on, Sunday, on Sabbath, Saturday. By the way, Sabbath is Saturday. On the day of rest, while all of a sudden now you've got these Gentiles who worshiped, and they worshiped any day of the week, every day of the week, morning, noon, and night, different times. They could go in, come and go. And then you've got all these people who have come to Christ, and his resurrection was on Sunday morning. And so they began to worship on Sunday morning. And some people prefer one day over another, and some people viewed every day the same. Now, here's the important part I want you to get. Paul doesn't tell you who's right and who's wrong. A lot of times I'll have people come ask me, can I go see this movie? Or can I do this activity? Or can I hang out in this place? And I want to be like Paul and not really tell you. I want you to come to the place of personal conviction. But the point of this message and Paul's text here, we'll come to personal conviction. That's point two. Hold on. But it, right here, by the way, you got a lot of points. We're going to go through them pretty quick. I promise we'll cover them even if we're just filling in the blanks. But the personal, the, what is the point here? Don't despise. Here's what happens. If I have a lot of rules and I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job at the rules and I see somebody who has no rules, I can pass judgment on them. Look at them. Look how slack they're being. Look how wrong they're being. And if somebody doesn't have rules, but they're enjoying their freedom and their grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they see somebody who's bound by all these lists of things they feel like they should do or should not do, what do they do to them? Well, they feel superior. And they tend to despise. Those are the words that keep coming up. Don't despise the one. Don't pass judgment on the other. The issue here, Paul's not identifying right and wrong, though he certainly gives his own personal conviction, particularly when it comes to food. And I'm with Paul 100%, by the way. When he comes to food, he says all food is good. But uh, what he's talking about here is the relationship that we have with one another. It's important. Don't despise. Don't pass judgment. Don't put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Verse 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the, I mean, chapter 15, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us Please our neighbor for the purpose of building him up. And that's the point. Ella's point, uh, the text Ella read this morning in Ephesians 4, is we need to remember that we are one body, one body, one family, joined together by the indwelling spirit of, the, of God who came and cleansed us and washed us and made us new. Because we are one body, we live in the mindset and in the practice of mutual acceptance. Now, why do I put mutual acceptance? Because we're different. We're different from one another. We have different backgrounds. We have different histories. We have different upbringing. We have different perspectives in how we have come to be. In their day, they had Romans, Roman citizens, spoke Latin. They had wealthy Romans, and they had Romans who were slaves. And then they had people living in Rome who were not citizens, but they were residents, and they had been imported from places like Arabia 
and Asia and Ethiopia. And then you had this whole Jewish population. And the Jewish population, you had basically three different kinds of Jews. You had the strict religious Old Testament following law-following Jews. And then you had the Hellenistic Jews, the ones that were more accepting of Greek culture and all of that that had taken place, spoke in Greek. And then you had the what we would call lapsed. lapsed. They were just Jew in name, but not Jew in practice. And then you had young people, 12, 13, 14 years old. Then you had the young adults who were getting married, starting to have kids and families. You had middle-aged people. And he had senior adults, maybe not real, real senior adults, but certainly there were people there in their 60s and 70s and 80s. And all of those create opportunities for disagreement. All of those create opportunities for friction and conflict on disputable things. It's important that we recognize one body and mutual acceptance. Why do I say mutual acceptance? What is the first word? No, not the first word. 14.1. I don't want to lose you. This is important. 14.1 says, welcome them, but not for the cause of quarreling. What does the last verse in our passage say? It says we are to welcome one another. This whole text is bookended with the idea that we're to open our arms, we're to open our hearts, we're to open our lives to people who have different personal convictions than we have about disputable matters. It's pretty clear, right? All right, basic, important. We need to recognize that we are one body, that we are to welcome one another, mutual acceptance. We want to make sure that as those who, have, who are strong in faith and conscience, not to feel superior or despise those who have a long list of do-nots and those who are weaker in faith, in conscience, not to pass judgment, criticize or condemn those who have more freedom in their convictions. What we struggle is when we disagree and we don't see eye to eye. So how do you know in disputable matters what you should believe? Well, you have to develop personal conviction and you want to live with a clear conscience. And that's the next point on your outline. Personal conviction and a clear conscience. Each one, remember what we read in verse 5, each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 8, when we live, we live to the Lord. When we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Here's the point here. We want to make sure that we are right with God in the choices that we make. Verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So here's the question. Somebody comes to you and they say, I want to go to a dance. Is it a sin for me to go to a dance? Well, here's the funny part. Some of us are going, no. And some of us are going, yeah. And here's the point. It may be or it may not be. So how how do you decide? How do you decide? For someone who was saved out of a dance hall. I'm from the South and country, all right? Some of us were saved from a clubbing scene where we used to be a slave to alcohol or drugs or a party lifestyle. And all of a sudden, we realized that we were sinners and separated from God by sin, and God convicted us, and he woke us up, and he brought us to new life in him. And now we're no longer living in the way the things we used to love we hate and the things that we used to 
shy away from, we're embracing totally. And so for me to go back into that environment is almost moving back from what my commitment. Then I need to say, no, that does not grow me in my walk. That does not honor my Lord Jesus Christ in my life. That puts me in a place of temptation that I am too accustomed to and too familiar with. And for me, it's not a place to go. And then, I'm not talking about, by the way, when I say, can I go to a dance? Maybe a high school dance or, or something. That, that I'm not talking about going clubbing, all right? I don't, I don't recommend, anybody, recommend anybody go clubbing. But there may be for another person who's like, man, I want, to, I, I want to enjoy time with my wife. And there's an opportunity for us to go here at a, at a wedding or at a celebration or at some sort of gathering. And there's going to be dancing there. And we just have the opportunity to do that. And it's a great time. You understand what I'm saying? And so you've got the difference between when you should and when you should not. The questions that you ask and that you answer are simply this. What will this disputable thing, how will this affect my walk with God? How will this affect my walk with God? Now, I will tell you, in this context, we need to ask also, what will this disputable matter, what effect will it have on my church, on my brothers and my sisters? What effect will this thing, this disputable matter, have on my witness and my testimony, the people I'm trying to reach with the gospel? You understand that personal convictions come from our understanding of Scripture and our walking and our, and our values, the principles that guide us, our walk with God, our building up of the body, our witness to a dying world. Those are the three matters that keep coming to the top in disputable matters, not prohibitions. Not prescriptions, but areas in which we seek to develop personal convictions. That's what he means. Be firmly convinced in your own mind. Something can be a sin for one person and not for another. That's why he said if, it's, if you sin with doubts, is not of faith. And everything that's not of faith is, not, is sin. It does not please God. And so it's important for us to understand that what is fine for one person may be wrong for another and what is Wrong for one person may be fine for another. Let me, let me kind of bring this to a head here on this point. Four categories of weak and strong. Because we're talking about weak in grace, weak in faith, and strong in faith. The immature weak person, let's deal with two issues, immaturity and maturity, weak and strong. Immature weak person says, this is wrong for me, and therefore it's wrong for everybody. It's not disputable. It's just wrong. And they pass judgment on those who do it. The mature person seeking to obey God, abstaining, mature weak, abstaining from eating to honor the Lord says, others may have the grace to do this and may have the right to do this, but I do not. I believe it's wrong. It is wrong, but I understand that other Christians see it differently and I will extend grace to them. Does that make sense? But you've got also the immature, strong in faith. You guys, we know some of those guys. You know them. The immature, strong in faith says, hey, I've been saved. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I understand the gospel. There is, God has created all things for our pleasure. We're going to live for an eternity in his presence. I have the freedom to participate. In their day, I can eat meat. I can eat meat. I don't care where it came from. I don't even have to ask where it came from. I can just eat it and enjoy it. And if you don't like what I'm doing, that's your problem. Grow up. That's an immature attitude. 
Do they have freedom? They may very well have freedom. Are they concerned with one another? No. Immaturity. What does a mature, strong person say? I have freedom. I have freedom in this disputable matter to partake. But at times, out of love for the weak, I will not exercise my freedom. Which leads to the next principle. Rather than feeling superior and despising those whose conscience condemns them in certain disputable matters, there are times when you should limit liberty with love. And that's the next principle. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and later in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, he says, you know, just all things are lawful to me, but not all things are beneficial or profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. It's important. The point that Paul's making in this passage is the mature, weak in faith, and the mature, strong in faith, can be unified in the church. And the goal is not to move everyone to the same personal conviction on disputable matters. The goal is to move everyone to maturity in their walk and relationship with God so that we extend grace to one another as we jointly and cooperatively seek to be obedient to Him in all things. And that means that we won't agree on everything that we do. Does that make sense? I feel like I've lost you a little bit. Has it been a long morning all morning? We had 15 minutes of announcements. You guys give me some time here. I'm kidding. All right. There are things that you can do, strong in grace, free in conscience, that you should not do because of the impact it has upon those around you. There are things that you feel you should not do, and it may be because you view it as a sin, but you extend grace to those who do not on disputable matters. that make sense? Are you with me on that? Because what we want is maturity and harmony. Now, I do want to identify one other truth in the development of personal convictions on, per- on disputable matters, and that is you can, be mature, you can be spiritually mature, you can be strong in faith, and you can have freedom in disputable matters and look at something and say, I'm not going to do that anyway because it's not wise. Not because it's a sin. Not because I think it's a sin. Not because I couldn't participate in it in faith. But because it's not the wisest choice to make. You can be spiritually mature, strong in faith, and have freedom in disputable matters. And choose to not do it because it is wise, not wise for you to pursue that freedom. Another way to say it is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And maturity is knowing the difference. The purpose is harmony in the body, and glorifying Christ and God by our love for one another. We come back to the welcoming one another, which brings us to the fourth point, pursuing peace and building up. Verse 19 says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What does that look like in a church? Strict consciousness. <laughs> let me get this word out right. Strict consciences. People who draw a lot of lines are respected and honored for the strength of their convictions. You with me? You don't look at somebody and say, well, they just got too many rules. They don't know what they're doing. And you get critical and you despise them because you think you got it figured out and they don't. Strict consciousness, strong personal convictions are respected. At the same time, legitimate freedoms are allowed 
legitimate freedoms of the strong in faith are allowed. I'm not saying that these secondary, these disputable, these, these other items are not important. They are important. We search the scriptures. We pray together. We talk through them. We need to understand biblical truth, and we live in such a way that God is glorified and disciples are made. And you guys that have been coming, you know from this pulpit and in our classrooms, we deal with difficult issues because we want our lives to give glory to God and to honor Him in all that we do. We want to not be caught up in sin, not to lead others in sin, but to lead increasingly holy lives devoted to God and to increasingly proclaim through our lives and through our verbal testimony the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to our community. We want to teach the clear truths, the hard truths of Scripture, and walk with one another in living them out because one day we're going to stand before God. And that keeps coming up. That's the last point, divine accountability and glorying God and giving glorifying God, giving glory to God. Divine accountability keeps coming up. Who in, verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 12, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 5 of chapter 15, well, I'll come back to that in just a minute. Here's the deal. In all things, we want God to be glorified. By our changed attitudes, by our love for one another, by the way we live in peace with one another, by the ways we build one another up. There's a call here for us. There's a call here to extend grace to one another. My dad said something years ago. It stuck with me. I've just claimed it as my own and made it as my own. When the Bible speaks, it just speaks. The Bible says what it says. Amen. The Bible is truth, God's revelation, written, recorded, and preserved without any mixture of error in it. I'm expecting a resounding amen. amen. The Bible is God's word, and it's true. And we want to be students of God's word to learn the truth that God has revealed and to apply it to our lives. And there are things that are clear prescriptions, things that are clear prohibitions, but in the disputable matters, you need to come to the place of personal conviction, knowing that you're going to stand before your God. And you can, you can extend those convictions over those over whom you have authority. You ought to be teaching your kids your personal convictions and how to develop their own. And you can extend those. But here's the deal on disputable items. I reserve the right to be wrong, and I give you the same right. You can be wrong too. And I will love you. And I will trust that you love me as we walk as obedient as we can in the ways that God guides us for his glory. Isn't that great? Is that okay? I'm not sure I'm really good here this morning. Y'all are just staring at me. Is dancing a problem? Is that, was that it? Is that what it was? All right. Again, this is important. This is important. What are the dangers? I'm going to close with this. The dangers are legalism on one end and licentiousness on the other. Legalism says for God to be pleased with you, you got a whole list of things that you cannot do and a whole list of things that you must do. Otherwise, God will not be pleased with you. You have to continually earn his favor. And can I tell you that is an immature and in, he's speaking to Christians 
But that is an immature and incomplete understanding of what it means to be saved by grace through faith. And you might need to go back to Romans chapter 8 and remember that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We couldn't keep the law in the first place. If so, there would have been no need for Easter. But because we could not keep the law, God sent his son who kept every jot, tittle, iota of the law, satisfying the full righteousness of God, went to the cross to pay the penalty for our inability, our failure, our separation from God. And his righteousness he bestows upon us. And he calls us to live righteously in his power, in his Holy Spirit. Make sense? So I want to make sure that we move away from legalism and that we trust in faith. But the other end of this can be even more poisonous, and it's licentiousness. I'm saved by grace. Grace is free. My sins have been forgiven. Christ paid for it, so it doesn't matter what I do. I can do whatever feels good. I can do whatever I want to do, and I can become enticed by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I can live a compromised life with no distinct testimony. And I want you to tell you that both, I want to be perfectly clear both of these are ungodly and they sin and are sin. So what do we do? We're obedient to all that we know to do, all that the Scripture teaches, trusting in the power of Christ and His righteousness in us and through us, extending grace to one another as we walk together, knowing we'll give an account, seeking to glorify Him in all we do. I want to close the service. You guys are ready, right? Let's close this service. Olivia, can you put Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6 on the screen? Can y'all see 5 and 6? Where it says you, let's say we, and read it together, okay? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant us to live in such harmony with one another and in accord with Christ Jesus that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that's our prayer. That's our prayer. We will have convictions. We will have personal convictions. Father, our personal convictions are not absolute truth. You give us absolute truth in your word, and you speak so clearly. We have enough struggle just, just being obedient to the things that we know. I pray that we will not compound that with an attitude toward people who share different personal convictions on disputable matters than we have. I pray, Father, that you will help us to, first of all, live to the Lord. No one lives to himself. No one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. You are a master. We will give an account. So help us to live in such a way that you are glorifying, extending grace to one another. We got neighbors and friends and family who need to know Christians aren't known for their fighting. We're known for our love. We're known for our pursuit of righteousness. We're known for upholding the banner of truth, no doubt. But Father, we do it in a way that just overflows with love and grace because that is what you have bestowed upon us. Be glorified in us. In your name I pray. Amen.